Hello. Hey, how you doing? Hey, ah oh, man, I have had a busy day, but it has been a good day. So many good things are happening in my world. The first of which that I have to mention today is August twenty eighth, and the Mariners are in first place in their division, all by themselves. This is the latest、Ooh. in the season that they have been number one since two thousand three. We're talking twenty、wow. years. I'm so thrilled. Congratulations! Yeah, and right now, as we record, they are playing the first of three games against the A's. And if you've been following baseball at all in 2023, you know that the A's belong in Double A and not in the major leagues. So here's <laughs> hoping that the wins keep piling up. So. And so many other things. Like I started my counseling program today, and had a great Sabbath day yesterday, and yeah, things are good. Things are really good. How about you? That's awesome. Well, I just want to take a moment and enjoy the fact that you had a great Sabbath. You started a master's program, and the thing that really made your day today was baseball. Well, hey, you got to have your priorities. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you were more into baseball, we this would be a baseball podcast. But instead, we have to talk about Jesus because you're not into baseball. I try to pause and at least come back to baseball, and at least I do know that this is not a good time to be a Red Sox fan because I think they are eight out in their division, and not only that, but the current front runner for the wild card is the number two person in their division, Tampa Bay.、Yeah. And so、right. the chances of the Red Sox doing anything this season is not looking good. No, and、uh, but if you're a Red Sox fan, you have to celebrate the fact that the Yankees are in last place in your division. Yes, that is on some level more important. <laughs> and we、uh, are beating the the Yankees by several games, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing fine. I'm doing. I'm. I. I've now shared all the baseball I know、uh, with you. I had a baseball、okay. moment with you. All right. So if I if I hear the tone in your voice, you're doing better than the Red Sox, but not as good as the Mariners. Is that is that how you're feeling in life? That, that about captures it. <laughs> that about captures it. That's exactly right. By the way, all the Witch Josh questions that are about baseball. There are so many of them. <laughs> I know because I have to come up with with baseball graphics for them. Oh,、um, sure. So I I am deeply attentive to how many baseball ones we have had, and if you're keeping track of how many of them to date have been me. <laughs> we need to come up with one that is just specific to you, and all the listeners are going to be like, "Whoa!" Yes,、um, I actually. I, I I am thinking about it, but、um, <laughs> that was so underwhelming. I、um, thought I had something, and then I didn't. <laughs> oh yeah, I really thought I had something. I was like, no,、nope, no,、nah, I really don't. Okay, so clearly we stink as a baseball podcast. So let's go back to what we do well. Oh man, well you know what I want to do today is be a podcast episode that talks about a podcast. Because, oh, that just strikes me as like 
You know, when you look in a mirror and there's a mirror behind you and it's like the infinite mirrors, yep. that's totally mm -hmm. what I'm thinking right now. Podcast and a podcast, talking about a podcast. Yes. What I'm really excited to do is to eventually get this episode of our podcast recorded, mastered, and aired, and then for us to do a reaction podcast about this podcast in which we were talking about a different podcast. I think that would be very exciting. <laughs> I think our listeners would like us to actually start this podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, I am halfway through the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Oh, right and on. Yes. And so this is a giant undertaking that Christianity Today has done in order to examine what happened uh, with Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill? And I want to pause. Like I said, I'm right about the halfway point. And I wanted to pause at this point and begin a conversation about it. Because it strikes me that if this is worth listening to, it is important to listen to well. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's interesting with this podcast. I avoided it for a very long time. Yeah, me and too. Yeah. I mean, even longer than me. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it was it was actually Dean that convinced me and, and a few other voices as well that it said, hey, this is actually really good. And my fear in listening to it was that it was going to be nothing but celebrating some other person's demise and just kind of watching it burn and, and delighting in that in some way. And that did not appeal to me. And so mm -hmm. I was nervous about listening to it for those reasons. And I'm not sure if those were your reasons as well. But as you're halfway through, what's been your experience with it so far? Does it have that flavor to you or does it have more value? Let me start off by saying that my motives for not listening to it were partially what you just described. I, I, I don't know if you've heard the phrase failure porn, but uh, I think that is a very evocative phrase that yeah. speaks to our human love of seeing the train come off the tracks. You can't look, but you can't look away. And this sort of being entertained by a train wreck is not an endearing human character trait. Sure. And so I was partially nervous to listen to it for that reason, and partially nervous to listen as a church leader, and a church leader who's had a variety of church experiences as a church leader, to what degree am I going to resonate with this, but as a non-senior leader, resonate with it and have no space with which to do anything differently. Mm. As a non-senior leader, it is not my job to turn the ship. It's my job to f be following the direction that the leader is taking us or to get off the boat. So I did not want to sow discontent in my own life when I was in that kind of a space. And so now that I am not in that space anymore, I am freer to listen and make up my own mind and have my own opinions 
because I'm not in a job that requires me to live off somebody else's mind and their opinions. Well, so this is fascinating. I didn't even really connect the dots until you just said that, that you're in this season of transition as you move away from the 20 years you spent fulfilling your calling as a number two and into your new calling as a senior leader and a senior leader in preparation or in waiting. I don't know how you want to phrase that. I'm not sure if you even have a term for it yet. But we are, as I talk to my wife about this, we are actively not answering that question. Right now, I don't know what's next, frankly. I, there's a giant series of question marks. And so, yeah, but anyway, so I don't know what's next, but it is a yes. Go on. Well, and maybe that answers it because I almost wanted to ask you, you know, as you think toward being a senior leader, what lessons are you drawing out of this podcast that you're like, hmm, I actually like that if applied differently, or I would like to do things different, or here are some of the safeguards that I see we're missing and that I want to make sure are in place in my ministry. I almost want to take you know how we did with the transactional relationships uh, way back in episode 23, we said transactional relationships versus question mark, question mark, question mark, like what's on the other side of this? And I almost want to do the same with the Mars Hill podcast, whether from your own preparation and your own thoughts or just in general, what's the other side of Mars Hill? Obviously, Mars Hill has been set up as the negative example of one of many that happened in our country. What's the positive example or what are the lessons to be learned out of this podcast as you see it? Yeah, that's great. This is exactly what I've been thinking about. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. And so maybe we can just trade off and maybe throw some pieces of the other side on the table. And as we talk, I hope that our listeners are thinking about what they've experienced as well, that is the other side. And they can add some more pieces of what the alternative option is. Because I, I think, for me, this is exactly what this is about. When I think about why bother listening to all those hours, it's because church is wildly important. And if church is wildly important, I want to learn to do it the best I can. And if church is important, if somebody else makes a mistake, I don't want to throw stones because I could have made that same mistake if somebody else didn't make it first. I just want to learn from it and not make those mistakes. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got a, uh, three or four things that I think come to mind very quickly in no particular order. But the first one that I think is exceptionally important for leaders is to be intentional about the board, uh, uh, meaning yes. the, the board of directors. Wow, yeah. I expected there to be a yawn following that, and <laughs> you had a very heartfelt yes. Tell me what you were thinking about that. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt or steal your own thoughts, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm curious what, at all. What, what you're thinking. But I thought that was one of the most dangerous things that happened at Mars Hill was there was no governing body that could tell Mark, you're off the rails, or this is not okay. There was no authority greater than Mark. Mm -hmm. 
And so whatever he thought, whatever he did, whatever sounded good to him is what went for law. And without those checks and balances and without real authority being diversified through a board, right? Again, so it's not just one other person, but a plurality of people getting to make governing decisions that a senior leader is bound to adhere to, I feel like that was the thing that set up Mars Hill for failure. Now, there are all sorts of different things that actually were particular failures along the route, but they all happened because there was no guardrails. Yeah. There was this great quote somewhere in there, and I'm not going to get it exactly right. I was driving the whole time I've been listening to this, and so uh, my quotes aren't going to be perfect. But at some point, the narrator says, a board can provide either good accountability or good cover, meaning either they can stop you from making bad decisions or they can distract from your bad decisions while you're making them. Mm. And I thought that that was really powerful because, you know, being in church leadership for the last couple of years, for the last 20 years, not the last couple of years, the last 20 years, one of the things that I've been fairly dismissive of is the traditional American constitution and bylaws that basically creates a voting membership that then elects the board of whatever you call them, the board of elders, the board of directors, whatever. And then that board represents the church and creates accountability for the pastor, but their appointment is not at his or her pleasure. They may be his or her instrument, but at least their empowerment comes from a voting membership. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about voting membership anywhere. And so I have found myself as a church leader who has grown up in churches that had voting memberships and the voting memberships created squabbles and nonsense and really jackaled some of the pastors I grew up under. You don't have to have a voting membership in America. That's just the way we've typically done it. You can write the Constitution and bylaws however you want. And there is a developing trend, particularly in megachurches, to do away with voting memberships and therefore give the senior pastor the ability to appoint at will whoever he or she wants to be on the church board. And that sounded really good to me until I listened to this. I mean, I would have voted that way a hundred times out of a hundred until being forced to think through, okay, so where's the sort of ballast or authority or teeth that the board has if they need to stand up against the senior pastor? They need something. They need some real power or authority or it's not a fair fight. And they don't actually have the ability to hold the, the senior pastor to anything like real accountability. Yeah. And, you know, going back to our conversation about denominations, I feel like that's a role that denominations can play too, is a level of authority and a level of accountability. Because I, I suspect, and I, well, actually, let me just ask, and, and rather than suspect, what drew you to that position in the first place? Why did it appeal to you that a pastor would appoint the board? Because Frankly, the pastor knows more about what's going on on the day-to-day 
of the church. You know, one of the things that would happen at my church in Boston is that we would know things about people that would make them not valid candidates for the board. And sometimes people would recommend them to the board anyway, and we would have to say, no, 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 no. And so the way that church worked is there was a nominating committee made up of voting members that could nominate, but the senior pastor still had to have a veto over who could be nominated to the board because nobody ever nominated right. They just <laughs> they would nominate people. So-and-so is living with her boyfriend. No, she can't be on the board. Yeah. Like, no, come on. And everybody knows it. It's not like it's confusing. How did you read the, the, you know, how did you read the Bible's requirements for elders and say yes to this one? I don't understand. And so that kind of experience, which I had numerous times watching the way board stuff was dealt with at that church, uh, which was never bad. Like there was never any chaos or mess in the board and the board functioned reasonably well, but it just left me thinking, okay, well, clearly then the senior pastor needs to do the appointing here because he or she is the only person who knows the people and this, the needs well enough to actually appoint competent human beings. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. At my church, our church is elder-led, and so our pastors are elders, and there is a whole elder board, and, and that is the governing body for our church. And so they kind of play both roles, if you will, or I mean, some people see it biblically mm -hmm. as just one role, period. And so there isn't a level above them, except we belong to a church planting organization. And should we need to, we can elevate concerns to that church planting organization. And they have some level of authority to come in and try to correct whatever situation might be in need of correcting. And so I, I I think that's a role that denominations can play. Maybe that it circumvents this process of like how a board gets constituted. Either the the denomination can appoint that board or the denomination can act as some kind of buffer if that board kind of didn't work out right. Or I don't know. Yeah, it is complicated because I know in my denomination, typically the denomination can't step in unless the church board invites them. Oh, wow. So there is no governing authority in the Assemblies of God. Essentially, really what's happening is the Assemblies of God, which calls itself a cooperative fellowship, and this is why, a denomination, the denomination can come in and change what's going on in the local church. In a cooperative fellowship of independent churches, the Assemblies of God credentials the pastor, thereby giving the pastor the denominational seal of approval. But that's it. There is no other thing that the Assemblies of God requires of a church to put Assemblies of God on the door. Uh, mm. And even that is not required. I, I have been a non-credentialed pastor at an Assemblies of God church, and nobody had a problem with it. So until the, the, until the movement is invited in, the church is still floundering and so it, it, this brings me to my second point, which is I'm not sure that systems and structures will entirely solve the problem, but I think a next, the second thing that I think is wildly important is a greater emphasis 
on overall health in our looking for leaders, which is something Mm. we talked about recently in a different episode. Yeah. Honestly, that was one of mine as well, though I might take it in a slightly different direction. For me, it's a realization that leaders hold a lot of power in people's lives. One of the most poignant moments in the entire podcast for me was one guy's testimony about how this broke him up. And he basically said, look, my own dad walked out on me and that was hard and that was terrible, but I came to this church and I was pumped full of what godly men are supposed to do and men are supposed to stand up and take responsibility for their households and they're supposed to be you know good god followers they're supposed to be faithful there's you know all of these things and he he's like I, I had this whole new picture of what it meant to be a man and i felt like i had a figure in mark that could guide me as a man and then when it all crashed down and mark just walked away And he never apologized, and he never made amends, and he never repaired anything with me. That was worse than my own dad walking away. And that was so powerful to me to realize, geez, leaders have a huge amount of influence on somebody's life, their emotions, their soul, their their well-being. And if they themselves are not healthy and don't know how to engage maturely in various types of emotional conversations and situations. Like, I'm just projecting. I don't know, you know, because Mark has never really come forward and talked about it. But I'm just projecting and assuming Mark's felt some level of shame over the collapse of Mars Hill and all of the different things that went on around it. And almost felt attacked on all sides and didn't know what to do. And so just kind of shrank into himself and kind of filtered away rather than having the emotional health to be able to stand up into that situation and to accept his own personal faults and own them and grow through them and make amends where he needed to, like he just didn't, he wasn't able to make repair and that really destroyed this guy. It's just so scary that the the amount of influence that somebody has in somebody's heart and life, man, we've got to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. This is again, somewhere in the podcast, someone says charisma isn't character. And that one phrase just bowled me over the amount of times somebody gets elevated because of their charisma without any question about whether or not they can steward that deep level of influence in somebody's life. You know, Paul had an interesting way of handling this. He basically said, if you haven't raised your family well, you should not be in ministry because you aren't qualified. Right? Mm. Yeah. Sometimes we put people in ministry, including myself. I mean, I was on staff at a church by the time I was 24. I had not proven myself. Paul's willing to say, prove yourself with a family first. Hmm. Like, let me see where your kids are at. Do some real hard work and then show me you're ready for this level. 
I wonder if we took that seriously and were willing to say, yeah, sorry, your oldest child is seven months old. You can't be a senior pastor. No. (laughs) Now, I'm not a denominational official, and I can imagine that that would be a deeply problematic thing to say. But boy, wouldn't that safeguard us? Well, and especially when in our leadership episode, we talked a lot about mentoring and the need for that. What if the answer wasn't just a flat no? What if the answer was, I love where you're heading. Let me help you. You're not ready yet. Mm. And that that was okay. Right. Well, one of the things this would split, this would split up the people who are doing this for healthy motives and the people who aren't. This kind of edges into the space between this idea of health and the idea of churches being missional. And again, this is an idea that I have swallowed hook, line, and sinker uh, until listening to this podcast. But if somebody believes their identity is defined by their successful doing of the mission of Jesus, meaning doing church work, they're going to focus on externals rather than internals, Mm. right? Sure. And if that's why somebody wants to get into ministry, when you put the brakes on them, they are going to freak out and go somewhere else. And that is Mm. proof that they should not have been in ministry. Sure. Yeah. But if somebody says, oh, you want to mentor me forward as long as it takes, and it might take a really long time, but you really believe I'm called to ministry. Yes. But oh, you know, can you imagine our church has a 14-year internship process for those interested in ministry? That is so countercultural. Yeah, totally is. I don't know why. I just have to share this. It's just the whole conversation at this moment is reminding me of one thing that I keep talking about with my daughter. My daughter is going to be a senior this year, and she has just grown leaps and bounds over the last couple of years um, because she intentionally sat down and did some really hard work. And she's looking around at the dating landscape and kind of, you know, some people half measure up and some people don't or whatever. But I keep telling her, I was like, I don't know, you've done so much work and you're in such a good place. You might need to let some of these boys cook a little longer. I don't know that they're quite done yet. Maybe we just need to let some pastoral candidates cook a little longer. They're not quite done yet. Absolutely. And let that not yet be part of the transforming work that we do in their lives. Yeah. Oh, it it hurt for you to get a not yet? Oh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that because that's what the Holy Spirit is. What part of your flesh had to die when you got that not yet? Yeah, I, I think this is the stuff for me that really seems very possible in the local church, but we have to set our sights somewhere different. And I think we have to acknowledge that no matter where we set our sights, our model for church is always going to be flawed. You know, I've used the phrase several times, I bought into this hook, line, and sinker. And we have to be very measured in our buying into models. Because every model is a human construct attempting to do God's work, which means they're all going to be flawed, all going to be prone to failure. And we just have to be looking for what those are, 
which again requires a lot of humility and a lot of self-awareness. Well, and even in the church formation process, going back to what your original point, right? You need a plurality of leaders. You need uh, checks and balances because not just like every approach to church is going to be flawed, every leader is going to be flawed. And we have to have those checks and balances to keep those flaws in check, to not allow them to be grown or, heaven forbid, like just like in Mars Hill, some of these deficits were pranced around as benefits and mm-hmm. celebrated and became entrenched in the church culture when they should have been shut down initially and never been allowed to grow, let alone morph into some perverse positive. And again, yeah. it's it's the lack of checks and balances that did that. Yeah, this this is reminding me my Boston senior pastor, who was a third generation Assemblies of God minister, would often laughingly say, you know, the Reformed movement, they believe in the total depravity of man. But we in the Pentecostal movement, we believe in the total depravity of me. Hmm. And it was his way of saying that when you step into the holiness movement, you can't be part of the holiness movement if you aren't fully engaged with your own sinful nature. And he, he wasn't really trying to throw down on the Reformed folks, but I really think leaders have to believe in the total depravity of me. Okay, so I want to have a whole nother conversation just on how we should view sin. This is on my mind so much lately. This idea of total depravity, uh, acknowledging my own sinfulness, I think is important. And I think sometimes gets misapplied, both because it gets mm-hmm. overemphasized and sometimes because it gets underemphasized. And I want to sort all this out in my head. So I don't know if it's a podcast topic or if it's uh, offline, but I desperately want to have I that would, conversation. I would love, I actually was trying to figure out language. I've been thinking about this a lot too. I'm reading a book that you have oft recommended. Uh, which is Try Softer. Uh, oh, yes. Humorously enough, I'm not loving it, but I'm not loving it because I've heard all the thoughts from you already. Oh. Um, so that's <laughs> that's not on her, right? Like, props sure. to her for having written a book that is so good, people are telling me all the thoughts before I get to the book. Like, that is the sign of a great book. Like, yeah. It may be a book that I give five stars to on Goodreads, even though I enjoyed it three stars. Because if I believe reading is a kind of community effort, and I do, she is changing the community conversation in ways that are really powerful and wonderful. But she makes some comments in this vein that I actually just this morning, I was running down a trail and she's making some comments in this vein. And I thought, Boy, there needs to be a theological conversation about sinfulness and self-worth and putting those two categories together in helpful ways. Okay. All right. We've got next week's episode and we need to like stop this episode and record next week's right now because I just want to have this conversation. (laughs) We'll record an episode within an episode and then get back to this episode later. But oh, the people boy. who are listening won't even know that that happened. And so we're <laughs> back to this episode, uh, having recorded a whole different episode, and it was great, and you're going to have to wait for it. But now we're back 
to uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. This has been such a time warp episode. I, yes, I, I hope you have additional thoughts as you finish it. Thanks for chatting with us. Thanks for actually listening to it. I do think it is a valuable thing. I don't think it's just, what's the phrase you used? Failure porn? Failure porn. Ooh, that's such a powerful thing. I don't think it is that. I, I think it's it stands to teach us in the church something about how to move forward better. Yeah, I am super interested in hearing from some folks what their major takeaways were. And again, looking positively forward, what can, choices can we make? What can we do to make the church healthier and more robust moving forward? Yes, I would love to hear those thoughts. So, well, before we turn the conversation to what you're thinking about, I do want to encourage our readers. Uh, excuse me, we don't have readers. I want to <laughs> encourage our listeners <laughs> to buy a book. We are going to be spending six, seven, maybe even eight episodes discussing Miroslav Volf's Exclusion and Embrace. And it is a one of the great books that I have ever read. And I am so excited to dig into this with you. And I just want to invite uh, our readers to pick up a copy of this and dig into it. And we'll post a reading schedule and all that kind of stuff. But right now, they just need to go get the book and dig in a little bit. And uh, we'll get ready for our conversation about it coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm so looking forward to that. I will say that this is a very dense, very difficult read. And one of the reasons we want to go through this book is so that we're forced to read it again and hopefully grasp mm -hmm. it better and then grasp it even more than that by having a conversation about it. So we're going to start every episode, uh, the first half of it, just trying to make sure we've grasped that chapter accurately and laying out a bit of the argumentation for our audience so that if you read it and didn't understand it or you didn't have a chance to read it, you can still follow along. And then once we're reasonably certain we understand what he was trying to say, then we'll move into, okay, so what? What do we do with that? How do we live in light of that? And we find this to be a really important topic because otherness and them and those guys, that's such a part of our culture these days. And we want to learn how to embrace the other better. Exactly. This is, I think deeply relevant to our everyday life when the word polarized is constantly used in every uh, sphere from religion to politics, and wildly important when we follow a master who gave us two commands, and one of them was to love our neighbor. And when we were when asked who the neighbor was, he said, it's the person who's nothing like you. Mm. So this idea of learning how to value people who are different is so important. And Wolf does a phenomenal job of wrestling with this topic. Yeah. Well, Josh from Missouri, what else have you been thinking about? You know, I have been reading a book by Edward Abbey called Desert Solitaire. Uh, this was inspired by our vacation trip 
Abby spent three six-month tours as a park ranger in Arches National Park. Oh. Uh, and so, yeah. So, and this was back in the late 60s. Book came out, I think, in 71. And so the parks looked quite different from how they look today. But the beginnings of tourism as an industry uh, were something that was just starting to happen. As a matter of fact, Arches gets paved for the first time while Abby is a ranger there. Hmm. And so he is wrestling with this. And I just find it fascinating. His argument moving forward is that we should never pave another road in a national park ever again. We should shut down all existing roads to automobiles and every kind of electric or engine-based vehicle. And with the amount of money we would save in not having to repair them, we should provide bikes free of charge to anybody who wants one to be able to bike in the national parks. And the only options should basically be bike or horse or feet. And his basic argument is that if we do that, we will make the national parks 10 times larger than they used to be because it will take 10 times longer to traverse them. Mm. And I don't think that's ever going to happen, but I think it is a fascinating thing to say. And just because we missed the boat on it, doesn't mean it's not worth considering. Again, I don't want to buy in hook, line, and sinker to something just because it seems right to everybody around me. So uh, he has me thinking. And I don't know that I have any other thoughts other than I think it's interesting that he makes this argument in favor of keeping the wildness of the national parks. Uh, I'm all for it. I, I knew you would be. Yes, because I love wild spaces and I love empty spaces where it's pristine nature. And that's part of what I'm drawn to about backpacking is you can get further, you know, Aslan's famous phrase, further up and further in. Uh, you can just get further into nature and away from people and into silence and solitude so much better. Boy, that just sounds mm -hmm. dreamlike to be able to do that at every single national park. That would be amazing. I, I, he makes an interesting argument, especially in the context of a book that is largely memoir. And so he's just trying to let you see the park through his eyes. The next chapter is titled Rocks. And the first page is a list of the kinds of rocks you see in the national park that he was in. It's literally just a list of words like agate and redstone and... He goes on to say how beautiful he thinks those words are. Um, so That's awesome. It's, it's an awesome book. But anyway, that's what I've been thinking about. What about you? What else have you been thinking about? I had a hard time choosing this week because I'm thinking about so many things. But I'm going to go back to this morning. I met with my former college roommate and good friend, and we were still working our way through Matthew. And... Uh, this week, we were translating Matthew 15 
and we did verses 29 and following. And I was really struck today, again, translating forces you to go slow, which is another thing I was thinking about with your national parks thing. That would just force you to go slow and how good that is for you and for your soul. Mm. And so for me, it is so good to force myself to go slow through scripture and notice things that I wouldn't otherwise notice. And here's what I noticed today. Forgive me, I'm going to like give my own translation here because that's just what I happen to have sitting on my desk. But No, it's fine. We totally understand that you think you're better than everybody. Yeah, yeah. Go. Oh, good. I'm glad you understood what I was trying to say. <laughs> you know, I just didn't want to say it quite. You know, but thank you. Uh, it's all right. I think you're better than me anyway, so I don't mind saying it. <laughs> okay, I'm feeling really awkward right now. This is this is great. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay. Full transparency. I don't think you're better than me. Or I don't know if that's better or worse. Like, uh, okay. yeah, I don't know. I, I anyway. So, what were you thinking about? <laughs> I'm thinking I need therapy. That's that's what I need. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, Friendship at its yeah. best. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. So, so wait, wait, your translation. Yeah. So then crossing over from there, Jesus came from the Sea of Galilee and went up the mountain and sat down there. And a large crowd came to him, having with them the lame, blind, crippled, mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. I was so struck by, like, because we had to go through and, like, look up a couple of these words because they're not used very often. What does that word mean? Okay, this is that type of disease that was coming to him. Okay, great. Matthew spends a lot of time describing this great crowd. He uses, like, an adjective there, like this large crowd and this type of ailment and this type of ailment and this type of ailment, and they all came to Jesus. And then three understated words. And he healed them. That was it. That's that's the sum total describing what Jesus did. It's not, and he called down power from heaven, and his heavenly father met him in a cloud of thunder and lightning, and you know, none of this like grandiose anything. If anything is grandiose, it's the grandiosity of the sicknesses and the ailments that came to him. And then Matthew goes on in the same vein, again emphasizing the people. So, therefore, the crowd marveled at seeing the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus is almost lost in the story. Yes, I understand he's the center point, but the crowd and the effect that God had on the crowd is the center point of the story. Jesus is just sitting on a mountain and a bunch of people show up and they get healed and it's pretty amazing to watch. I almost wonder if the crowd could even see Jesus. Yeah, there's always, not always, but there is frequently in the Gospels something very casual about Jesus' activation or use of his power, right? He healed him. Okay, moving on. You know? Yeah. And the same way, you know, I'm, I'm always struck by this. Jesus is up on a mountaintop. He sees the disciples on the verge of being deluged by a storm. So he walks across the ocean to, or the, the lake to go to them. And as if that were the obvious decision. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yes. You live in a different world than I live in. That's what I'm getting out of this. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. And, and healed them. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazingly understated. And I think this mm-hmm. speaks to 
those who want to say that uh, this is made up or this was propaganda or what have you, that's not the way I would draw it up if I was trying to convince people, right? Like right. There, would, there would be way more theatrics, uh, way, yes. way more grandiosity, not just this understated, yeah, and then he healed him. 100%. All right. We have arrived at the Witch Josh question. Ooh. And this week, we still do not have theme music. But this do, week, do, 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 do. thank you. That is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I could do on short notice. Fair. All right. This week, Witch Josh, prior to his wedding, memorized the book of Song of Songs, but did not tell his fiance slash wife. And this is me. Did you really memorize, like, literally every word of that? I think I stopped eight verses short of the end. Yeah. So, virtually, yes. I could recite at the time the whole thing, start to finish. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you? I did a verse a day. I can't remember how many verses it is. Somewhere in the vicinity of 100 or 130 or something. I just did a verse a day, every day. For 130 days or whatever it was. It was awesome. It was one of the best experiences with the Bible I've ever had. So, you know, in order to do that, day one, you do verse one. By day eight, you're doing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. By day 30, you're doing one through 30. By day 90, you're doing one through 90. It gets in there deep. Oh, I bet. What was your motivation for that? I mean, obviously, it's this great epic love poem and you were about to get married so i i can kind of connect the dots but what what made you like really take the action and do it i have no idea i think this was a basic like 20 something being like well all the marriage books seem kind of dumb and i got to do something how about i try this all right and i did that and i did not by the way intentionally not to tell my wife I found out I hadn't told my wife when I was brainstorming with her possible which Josh questions. And I mentioned that I had memorized the Song of Solomon. And she was like, you did what? Oh, my gosh. You didn't tell her for 20 plus years? (laughs) Apparently not. Oh, my gosh. That's a whole new wrinkle to this. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, well, Kristen, so, I'm sorry, so. but I knew many, many years ago, I guess that he just failed to mention it to you. Yeah. That's weird. That's me thinking I mentioned it, but then having moved on and such is life. All right. Well, are we on for the conversation that we're going to have next week that we already recorded earlier, but then pretended we didn't record earlier. And now yes. we're going to have another podcast next week. Time warp. Yes, we are. All right, I'll talk to you at whatever time that is. All right, I'll talk to you then. Okay, bye.